the night. I am Matt Lazowitz, and welcome to this week's episode of Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman ranking podcast, where each week my co-host Will Nevin and I dig into three Batman stories, discuss them, and rank them on our big old list, thus creating a giant list of Batman stories from best to worst. Will, how are you on this glorious look towards the future of a new year? Oh, I'm doing great, Maddie Lasers. It's, it's the year of the double deuce. 2020, 2020, 2020, 2020, 2022. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. It's, uh, I'm exuberant. It's, it's time to, to get into new habits, new resolutions, new goals for the year. What do you hope to accomplish in 20 double deuce? I am hoping that we keep up our streak and we do not miss an episode and we give the people all the glorious bat content they've come to expect. Oh, all the things they expect and deserve. And I'll tell you what, what I hope to do in, uh, in 20 double, uh, double deuce. Um, I'm thinking about trying cannibalism. Okay. That, that has never gone wrong for anyone. You know, I'm always looking to try new things, new adventures and, um, you know, most dangerous game. Why not? I was trying to think if there were any cannibal Batman villains. And, and when you get to that point, we will do a Cornelia Stirk themed episode. There's a deep <laughs> cut villain if there ever was one. Uh, just call me Cornelia Stirk. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, this is, uh, this is a good episode. We got some interesting things to talk about. And uh, I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Because this week, it's a new year, so we're looking at new Batmans, which is the proper plural, by the way, as Batman is a proper noun. So the plural of Batman is Batmans, not Batmen. At least that's how I've always felt about it. This could be even more controversial than our feelings on Dark Knight Returns, but I will stand by this one as I stand by that. Hmm. Batmans or Batmen? You know what? In the sake of, of a new year and, and brotherhood and congeniality, I'll go with you, Batmans. So that means we're going back into alternate reality takes on Batman. Uh, this started out as one of your seeds, Will, as the opening story is one you really wanted to hit. So we're going to start with that story. That story is Thrill Killer. And Elseworlds, uh, published as Thrill Killer numbers one to three and Thrill Killer 62 number one. The writer on this is Howard Chaikin. Art, pencils, inks, and colors, Dan Barretton. Letters by Bill Oakley, edited by Archie Goodwin and Chuck Kim. Uh, the cover date on these are January to March of 1997 for the original miniseries and February of 98 for the follow-up one-shot when or we decided when discussing this to take all of these in one as opposed to breaking them up like we did the vampire batman trilogy as one when these are traded or collected they've always been collected as a unit not separately and the third story or the fourth issue while technically standalone really continues an arc out of the first one. So we're going to treat these as one unit. 
And we've already talked about this before when we did a story written at that time, written and drawn by Chaikin for Batman Black and White. But Chaikin is a somewhat problematic creator in current light with various definitely transphobic and some misogynistic comments within his work. So just calling that one out. And some of that bad stuff is in here. It's, it's, not, it's not loud. It's not persistent, but it's there. This story is set in a Gotham in the early 1960s. The first miniseries set in 1961 and the one shot in 1962. Following Batgirl, who is the central figure of the at least initial miniseries, and Robin as they try to bring down Gotham rackets along with police detective Bruce Wayne. The series continues into the one shot that introduces a Batman, all while fighting against various villains, the central of whom is a female version of the Joker. So, Will, let's start with you, as this was your initial sort of pick. Where where did you wind up falling on this one, having read it this time? Well, I have had this on my shelf for about forever when DC put out this new trade collection a couple of years ago. Still, strangely, you can't get a digital version of this. And I don't understand why. Like this, this trade is from 2018 and you can't, you can't get a digital version. Uh, puzzling to me. Anyway, Barretton, you know, we, we talked about him in, um, in Six Fingers. His work is gorgeous. This is one of the prettiest books I think I've ever read. A hundred plus pages of just, just stunning, stunning work. And I really wish this had been collected in some kind of prestige format. This feels so small to hold in your hands. And like, I feel like I'm missing so much of the detail. All of those things about Chaikin aside, again, and there, there's some problematic moments in here. The mood that he sets, the tone that he sets. I thought a lot about this, and especially as we get into the fourth chapter, which is just, it feels like an appendage. It feels a little bit unnecessary. I think this book is stronger when you consider these first three chapters together. But anyway, the tone he sets is so close to Dragnet. And uh, aside from the police corruption and all, I, I just loved it. I, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I thought it had such a, such a vibe. It had such, such a, just, a, just a driving narrative. It didn't fall into the Elseworlds trap of seemingly introducing every you know, rogue in some kind of alternate circumstance. Yeah, there were a handful in here and they all made sense. And they all had interesting things to say. And that's not the case with all of the stories we're going to read tonight. I loved the shit out of this. Like I was, man, I'd, I'd reread this tomorrow. I had, I had a good fucking time with this book. I enjoyed it. I don't think I quite enjoyed it as much as you, but I definitely enjoyed it. I definitely agree that that one shot, I'm glad we didn't cover it on its own because there is not enough meat in that additional 62 chapter. And it felt to me almost like that was bridging app into some planned third chapter. Like that was a middle. Yeah. The third bit never got made 
because it ends on a, a couple of cliffhangers or unresolved notes. And so it feels like if we had gotten wherever this was planned to go, it might feel a little less eh. But without that resolution, it just feels sort of empty. While the resolution of the core miniseries, while it wasn't a finality sort of ending, it was the ending of a story that had plot threads left over. It felt like it was more, no story is ever complete. This is this world versus that weird ending at the end of the one shot. Yeah, the 62 is just, it's it's either too much in that it exists or it's not enough in that feels like it should have been three stories. It should have been fully drawn out, especially when they get into like the the Nazi hunting, you know, bad guys that, that that's some rich territory to explore, you know, Batman's feelings on narcotics, similarly that we see in Dragnet. Again, this, I didn't, I, it, it was, it took until that last chapter for me to really get the Dragnet fighting against this, this cultural tide sort of vibe, which, which again, I really loved. I, those were not the instances where Chaykin, you know, showed his asshole streak. If, if I did not know of him, I would give the writer of this book much more a benefit of the doubt. But since he is who he is, you know, we don't have that. Yeah, it's I would have liked to have seen more of Barbara Gordon, Batgirl. And by the way, why couldn't she have been Batwoman? I guess it's because she's Barbara Gordon and she's Batgirl. But nonetheless, the more, color palette certainly suggests Batwoman. It really does. But I would have liked more of Barbara as more of the counterculture butting heads with the Joe Friday Bruce Wayne. Mm -hmm. that's hinted at at the beginning of that chapter and then is immediately forgot. And that was a shame because the first, the things with Batgirl and Robin, Ricard Astar, was both of them as the defenders of the rising youth movement was an interesting take on that. And from what I gather of Chaikin's past and politics, he strikes me as, because he views himself as a liberal. I view him as one of these guys who came up probably in the 60s culture and now is disillusioned by where what we view, what he views as liberalism is. It is now kind of an ass about it. He was yeah. born in 1950. So he was a teenager in the mid 60s. So I would wonder how he views the, the 60s and things like that. Again, to his credit and to his, you know, maybe firsthand knowledge, a lot of this reads true. Uh, I mean, the, the, at least tonally, like none of this seems cliche. None of it seemed forced. Like again, it's, it's a, it's a good read. It is. Aside from some of those problematic elements, which we will get to, the basic narrative here is really interesting. The, the corruption in Gotham, which granted, you can't throw a rock without hitting a story about Gotham institutions being corrupt. But this feels organic to its times, the way it's dealt with 
the interesting stuff about Bruce being penniless due to the fallout of the Great Depression is an interesting, different take on Bruce Wayne. And making him this cop is a very different take than we usually get on Bruce. Putting him as the one hunting the bats versus being a bat at the beginning. And, of course, being one of the few guys that Jim Gordon can trust. Bruce and Jim are the two uncorruptible cops. Well, yeah, obviously. And that was an interesting idea. And I also thought Robin in this book had two great ideas going. One, his costume as a Letterman jacket. Fucking top notch. That shit was tight. Second, him already being Robin and then his parents dying, I thought was a very interesting change in the timeline. Although at the point in the story when they die, there's not a lot of time to explore that. That bit seemed a bit rushed. However, again, the idea I thought was very interesting. Yes. It's rare that I would say this about a story, but this could have used another issue. That first yeah. series could have used another issue because the stuff that happens at the end of issue two, I would have loved to see more of Dick dealing with his parents' death, more of Bruce Wayne on the run after the death of his informant, Selena Kyle, murdered. Like, uh, that was a, there's like, oh, great, you fridged Catwoman. There's a problem. Good job, Howie. Yeah. Uh, I think we could have also seen more of Barbara being conflicted in her love for both Dick and Bruce. That seemed to be a a thread that was picked up and dropped pretty quickly. That brings me to something that I want to mention because it's something that tends to raise some fans' hackles. And I can understand why. Because for the past... 20-ish years, Barbara Gordon has been the love interest of Dick Grayson. That a lot of people view them as a couple that belongs together. And I frankly, I like them as a couple. But in this story and in earlier comic stories, it's not as cringy that Bruce and Barbara might be a couple. This isn't that opening to the animated killing joke or some of the weird stuff from some of the Batman Beyond comics. Or actually, I think that might have even been in the TV series was hinted at that Bruce... Yeah, it was, that Bruce and Barbara had a relationship. If you look at 66 and Barbara's first appearances there, and in the early comics, Barbara was much closer to Bruce's age than she was to Dick's. She was a professional woman with a master's degree, while Dick was a freshman in college in those early In library sciences. Yes. And she was a U.S., I can't remember if she was a senator or a member of the House in some of the stories from either the late 70s or the early 80s, representing Gotham's district. So she was much closer to Bruce's age in a lot of these earlier stories. If it were to happen now in the comics, yeah, that would be weird because she is much closer to Dick's age now. She's still older than Dick by probably three, four years, but that would still put her eight to 10 years younger than Bruce. 
So yeah, no. But in this story, it makes sense. I think she even says she's two years younger than Bruce and four years older than Dick. So it's written to be not uncomfortable that there is a love triangle there. I think too, this story is a little bit different because uh, we're going to get a little bat chat after dark here. The Barbara Dick relationship is total femdom. Like it's total, like she is the alpha. She is in charge. She is the strong dominant character. And he is, he's just kind of there in that relationship. He's a puppy dog. Exactly. They make it pretty clear. He left his family, left the circus and followed Barbara's path because he had this puppy love for her. And she was just sort of like, yeah, you're cute and you're good in a fight. Sure. But yeah, she is very much a dominant alpha character. And, and again, credit to Jacob. Aside from Selena Kyle, the women in this book are written with strong characterization. They have goals, they have motivations, and they exist largely outside of men. So I, I got to give him credit for writing a couple of strong female characters here. This, Surprisingly. Yeah, this version of Harley is again, runs roughshod over her boy toy, Roy Harper, uh, who's normally Green Arrow's sidekick, Speedy, but is here because Black Canary shows up in that final story too. So there's that connection. He's just, gee, I think we should get out of here. And she's, no, I'm into this crazy crime thing. And she is clearly interested in Bianca Steeplechase, the Joker analog here, the female Joker, who also is dominant over all of the men who she is in a relationship with. And in that fourth chapter, you know, she gets a second life as the, uh, as the kind of Edith Wilson behind uh, Gotham's mayor, which was a nice wrinkle. But again, that shows a female character in a position of dominance. I love your Edith Wilson, America's first female president reference. <laughs> uh, Woodrow was incapacitated and she ran the country. Yeah. There is a lot of very noir aspects early on before it becomes that more procedurally dragnet y sort of vibe. The initial captions, and it, it's the femme fatales too, make me think of a, a bit of a noir, but it's not a noir in, it doesn't hit all of those notes for a noir, but there's definitely some of that in there. And, and again, even that speaks to me for Dragnet because every episode of Dragnet opens with Joe Friday talking about the city. Like, this, this is a city. This is Los Angeles. It's, it's a city of growth. It's a city of history. But when, uh, when you come into my city and you want to peddle some H, I'm here to stop. This, as you say, does at least not fall into the copaganda trap that Dragnet, Dragnet existed as a PR stunt for the LAPD. If you're at all familiar with the history of Dragnet, it is, wow. The the LAPD was basically, had this thing created so they could look good as one of the most corrupt police forces in the country. There's a reason why Joe Friday's badge number is retired. Yeah. 
I, 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 it's, it's a problematic fave. I love it. I can't help it. I, I let me, I, I kind of danced around it. I want to point out the stuff in here that I did not like that seems like the quintessential chicken. The book opens in a gay bar. No reason to do that. Doesn't need to be there. And again, I don't, another writer might get the benefit of the doubt. Chaken does not. And then a couple of moments, at least twice, where we have Barbara or Steeplechase call another woman a bitch. And I'm like, that again, you don't need that. Don't need it. Doesn't read well in the rest of the book. And just, you know, it's just you being misogynistic. So no point in that. You already brought up the fridging. Nothing else struck me problematic. But again, if anybody did a read of this and found other stuff, look, I, I believe the very worst out of somebody like Jake. And so I wouldn't, I wouldn't begrudge anybody else for finding something in here. The other thing, and this is a very, very Chaken bit. At the end of issue one, there is a GCPD detective, one of the really corrupt ones, who takes a female victim. I mean, she's just a random woman off the street and brings her into an alley to extort favors from her. And she winds up on her knees in front of him with him pulling his jacket aside before Bruce comes in and punches him in the head. The implied almost fellatio there, if you can find a comic written by Howard Chaikin that does not feature a reference to or on-panel fellatio, I will be shocked. If you look that up, if you, not that I suggest you do, but if you put Howard Chaikin and fellatio into your search engine, there are articles written about his obsession with oral sex. And Tonight in the writer's barely disguised fetish. <laughs> yeah. And this particular scene with it being forced, thank God Bruce intervenes first, but it's not comfortable. Yeah, there it's gross. One bit in the 62 one shot where they do use the word pansy, which I do not think was acceptable even in 1998 when this was written. Talking about the art, one of the things that absolutely blew me away, I mean, other than Breton in general blowing me away, he does some panels of likenesses of real historical people and events. Holy crap. Yeah. They look yeah. tremendous. Yeah. Kennedy, Sean Connery. Elvis. Oh, uh, wartime Elvis, yeah. The the Kennedys, it's stunning. Motherfucker is good. Oh, he's great. I love his take on Croc. He draws a Croc that is closer to the original view of the character, uh, not a mutated crocodile man, a guy with a wicked skin condition that I really liked. And his female characters, when they are sexy and powerful, he draws a really impressive Barbara. Steeplechase is something out of a nightmare of terrifying sexuality. Yes. 
It goes right up there with the Luther Joker. Yeah. <laughs> he, he clearly did period research and it shows because this feels of its time in the way the city looks. I will say one thing that I was a little surprised, having not read this in a while, is the fact that we have a Two-Face-esque cop in the first three chapters and then Harvey Dent in 62. Not a bad thing, but I was like, wait, but, huh? Different cat? Really? Okay. Yeah, a a lot of the, I guess not a lot, but uh, some of the names here are different. And I I like that as being a little bit unpredictable. But yeah, I noticed that too. It's like, oh, okay. So Dent's not Dent, but he's on the force. And then when we do get to 62, it's, you know, district attorney Dent. And then did we read something tonight or or am I making it up or it becomes Mayor Dent? We've read something recently with Mayor Dent. He's mayor in our final story as well. Yes, that's what I I thought. But yeah, um, again, I'm, I'm really happy that this didn't fall into, say, the overdrive trap of needlessly bringing in a bunch of characters. This only had Dick Grayson. It didn't have, unfortunately, your favorite Robin uh, or Jason Todd or Damien. I think Steeplechase is kind of a mix of Joker and Poison Ivy, especially how she, you know, poisons with with kisses and scratches and that sort of thing. But there is no, you know, Pamela Isley or anything. So again, none of this felt forced. I I go back to my very first comments. Like I just had a good fucking time reading this book. It got a little closer. In the, the 62 again, I just felt there didn't quite go over the top, but the Black Canary and Roy Harper seemed a little close to a hat and a hat. I was okay with Harley. And I guess with Dick having died at the end of the final chapter of the original miniseries, bringing in another character to become a new sidekick I was okay with it. Just, uh, Roy Harper was an, a different choice. I am kind of happy that it was Roy and not Jason. And and like I said, this this is much stronger when you only consider those first three chapters. Yeah. So say the Nazi scientist Otto Saunders is a Mister. Fr- I mean the the snow element. He's a Mr. Freeze rough analog. And I only realized it when you realize that two of the actors who played Freeze in 66 are Otto Preminger and George Sanders. Oh. And Otto Saunders. Oh, wow. Chaykin did, did some deep cuts in here. Um, the, the newspaper editor, Kefauver. Estes Kefauver as yep. being one of the politicians leading the uh, the moral panic against comic books. That's pretty nice. Yeah, I, pretty I, nice. I knew if anybody else was going to pick up the Kefauver reference, and it, that and the Crusader against organized crime. He was the guy who held hearings about organized crime before it was a thing. Back when the party line was, there is no such thing as organized crime. All right. Uh, and and I'll, I'll throw this in as a brief aside. When I do my moral panic unit in uh, media history class, I show a documentary from, I guess it's, it was just after the comics code had been enacted. And it's this documentary, like Keefe Offer appears 
And the whole thing is produced, I guess, or directed, I think directed, directed by Irv Kirshner. Really? Really? Fascinating. Okay. I think we're nearing the end of this. But before we do, as we did in our first Elseworlds related episode, I want to look at our Batman costume in this book and see how we feel this Batman costume works. So maybe you don't have this in your floppies, but I, I, in answering this question, I will look to a pinup we have in the very back. And I will say that it is the Batman costume itself seems fairly close to the Flashpoint Thomas Wayne costume in terms of it being, I guess, red? Orange-ish? I had viewed it as gold, but I can see orange as well. Yeah, and, and looking back in this in 62, it, it really does look orange to me. Yeah, looking at the cover of 62, I can see where you're where you're coming from there. Yeah, it's an it's it when you when I'm picturing it orange instead of gold, yeah, I can definitely see a Thomas Wayne flashpoint Batman vibe going on there. But overall, it's 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 simple, it's basic, but that doesn't necessarily mean bad. I like it a whole lot more than the next costume we're going to talk about. Yes, I was going to say, I will take simple costume over an overdone one any day. And this is simple, straightforward. I think I love the Letterman jacket, Robin. Oh, God damn, what a just a nice idea. I am less in love with Queen of Abslantis Batgirl. Just yeah. Any costume that doesn't have a midsection yeah. is clearly kind of male gazy. You want armor there, guys. Armor. Yeah, a little bit. I think that that is about it on this one, unless you have anything else, Will. I got nothing else, so that means it's time to put it on the board, see? We're going to put it on the board, see? See? See here? At this point, we're at 42 stories on our big list. Number one is still Batman Year One from Batman Volume 1, numbers 404 to 407. Number 10 is Beautiful People from Detective Comics 821. Number 20 is Robin Year One from Robin Annual Volume 2, number 4. Number 30 is Faces from Legends of the Dark Knight, numbers 28 to 30. Number 40 is The Last Batman Story from Batman Volume 1, number 300. And down at the very bottom is Superman and Batman versus Vampires and Werewolves. Okay, so where are we looking at for this? Uh, You're going to hate me for this. But I, I want to put it in the top 10. I really, I really like it. Uh, oh, no, no, I, no. I like it, but it's not. I can't do top 10. Oh, no. I can't. Oh. It's a good. Okay. Right now, couldn't go. Can't go above at least eight. Because eight is Joker's five rare revenge. And that is a hard break for me. A story that goes above five-way revenge needs to be important or seminal. Hey, hey, I didn't I didn't say the top now. I said I said in the top 10, 
that would qualify. Okay. But Your point absolutely stands. Okay. We're starting there. We can't put it above eight. Next is six fingers, which got there on the strength of Beretton's art and being a generally enjoyable story. I like I like six fingers. It was more straightforward than this. It doesn't have that weird, weak final chapter. Uh, this is true. I think I might have been more willing to give this more credit if we hadn't lumped in 62. I feel kind of bad about that, but I do feel like this is one cohesive unit. So we have to take that into account. That's fair. If we ever get a chance to interview Chaikin, we're going to chastise him for being a dick. And we'll ask him what the plan for Thrill Keller was. Right. I would be willing to do top 20, top half. Oh, but I think I think the Heiketia, while not a Batman story, and as is this is more of a Batgirl Robin-y story. The Heiketia is just as gorgeous and I think is a more solid story. Uh, uh. I mean, I, I don't have any arguments for you here. This, this, I, this is an, an emotional reaction more than anything else. Right. Um, my, my, my spot for this in my head would have been early teens. I was okay. waiting. I was waiting to up an argument about where, this versus Little Gotham. Little Gotham is another story outside of continuity. I personally like Lil Gotham more. I like the deep cuts. I like the warm fuzzies I get from Lil Gotham. But the, the strength of the art here allows me to write there. That is a concession, a bit of a concession, because my initial thought on this one was 16. My initial spot was after half an evil. I'm willing to bump the spot make it the new 15 maybe 14 if you can convince me i could put it above little gotham but sleigh ride that tim drake joker story is just and that that's my emotional thing that's tim drake and that is one of my favorite takes on the joker who's a character i love admittedly is is real good Again, I this book works on the strength of Breton's art. I mean, this is a master craftsman. Every page is something to look at. It, it is beautiful from start to finish. There are no lulls in terms of the lushness. And the the thing just is just it's stunning. For for, for people who are listening to this who have never seen Breton's work on Batman, which has to be like most of the listening audience, right? Because he's only done like the two stories. It is really just amazing. Like I can't, I can't do his work justice. Just as a note for those of you out here who have heard us talk about Brett now a couple times and are interested or are familiar with his Batman and not his work outside of Batman, Dark Horse recently released an oversized hardcover omnibus of his Nocturnals. The first arcs of that, they're releasing a volume two first quarter of 2022. So this is oversized, almost absolute sized hardcover of his work that I know I'm going to give in sometime and buy that hardcover. I see it at my shop every week and it's like, pretty not this week. 
<laughs> this is a, put this on my Christmas wish list, and someone will buy it for Matt. I, you've come a little. I'll come a little too. Let's put this at fifteen. I yeah, I think that is. I mean, it's a good spot. That's top half, and it will remain in the top half for a while, or at least this episode. That's for sure. I know I'm not putting the next book above it. That next story is Batman, the Blue, the Gray, and the Bat. This is an Elseworlds one-shot, plotted by Elliot S. Magin and Alan Weiss, script by Magin, pencils by Weiss, inks by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, colors by Digital Chameleon, letters by Richard Starkings, edited by Denny O'Neill. The cover date is January of 1993. In this Elseworld, set during the Civil War, Lieutenant Colonel Bruce Wayne of the Massachusetts Regiment heads out to Nevada to help President Lincoln by securing uh, vital war provisions, uh, the Comstock load of silver and recruit soldiers. And it becomes an elaborate plot involving all sorts of history and historical figures and one of the more uncomfortable Robins I've ever read in oh, the Elseworld. Oh. And yeah, we'll get there. But yeah, boy, howdy, this one has some real cringy stuff. Yeah. Elliot uh, S. Magin, the writer, best known for his Superman stories. He's written a handful of Batman, but this is not best work. I'm not entirely sure how we came to deciding on this one for this episode. And well, we needed to get to it eventually, I guess. Yeah, I mean, we had a we had a spot. And, you know, we had the, the, the sort of modern Elseworlds that we're going to get to here in a second. And we had uh, Thrill Killer, which was, what, 98. And this was, you know, a little bit earlier than that. It all just kind of worked, but this book didn't. No. But let, let, me, let me start with this point. And this, this will lead into kind of the next two books. What are, to you, sir, the basic qualities the fundamental elements that come together to make up batman as a character and you know we have to think about this over you know canon over the the else worlds it can't just be that you know it has to be bruce wayne because admittedly my favorite batman is bruce wayne but there are moments where others can step into the cowl and be perfectly acceptable so that means it doesn't have to be bruce wayne it doesn't have to be a character based on tragedy and and i thought about this as i was reading this to me one of the basic defining principles of batman is that he doesn't use motherfucking guns matt that's his deal that's his fucking deal and doesn't you know use guns. I, I'll stand by it. Everyone is like, well, you know, he used it in those early golden age stories. Like that was barely Batman. That was a character they were still experimenting with. And pretty soon it was decided that he doesn't use guns and he doesn't use guns. If Batman uses a gun, it is the last resort and it is an extreme situation. Batman shoots dark side. He shoots the god of evil. 
That's what it takes to get Batman to use a gun. And the only good thing I'll ever say about Zack Snyder in Batman versus Superman, there is a reason why Batman uses a gun in that movie because it's a fucking nightmare. That is his nightmare using a gun in a dystopian setting where Superman is an overlord, right? It's a dream sequence. Specifically, it's a nightmare. Man doesn't like guns, doesn't use guns. Chuck Dixon, noted gun nut, didn't make Batman use it. Batman uses a gun once in that, in Dixon's hundred issues. And he does it because it is the only thing at hand. And he uses it to shoot another gun to keep it from killing a target. He doesn't even shoot a person. (sighs) And Batman, and here, guns are a first resort. And it's also kind of befuddling to me where it's like, okay, if Batman's willing to use a gun, why is he shooting to wound? He's a soldier here. If you're going to take the one step, why is he shooting the guns out of the hands of soldiers on the other side? If he's got to be a soldier, he's got to be a soldier. If he's supposed to be Batman, he shouldn't be a soldier. He should be something else. Why the fuck is he even in costume? Like, what what identity is he trying to protect? You know, he's got this dual thing going on, you know, Bruce Wayne, the gentleman of, of leisure who happens to be a, a colonel. And that that is kind of charming and funny in a kind of a, of a 66 kind of way. But like, there's no secret identity here worth protecting. You're right. He should just be a soldier. He should be a high profile soldier, you know, uh, this, certainly the, the South was lousy with them. This guy should be the, the Union equivalent of Stonewall Jackson, like just going out there and kicking ass. I'll, I'll give you a better example. He should be Sherman, right? He should be Sherman, just merciless toward, uh, toward the, the, the fucking slave trading scumbag assholes. And, and that's another problem that I inherently have with this book. I, I'll say this. This is a mostly competent Western. It's not a Batman book. It's a Western. If I was going to have an Elseworlds with Batman set during the Civil War, there's no fucking way I would put him in the West. Like, no fucking way. Like, why would, why would I do that, right? It's clear that this guy wanted to tell a cowboy story and he just, he just said it during the Civil War. My Batman is fucking like leading you know, slave revolts in the South. He's burning down Richmond. He is, you know, kidnapping Jefferson Davis and like torturing him for fun. That's my Batman in the Civil War. I don't know what the fuck this guy's doing. Yeah, Batman is a creature of the night. He's riding in horseback in broad daylight. The bad costume is much less intimidating in broad daylight. And, there, and just the, the like hot Christmas Western guy. heat? Jesus, he's just yeah, going to die out there. Leathers, like head to toe leather. In Nevada heat, you would fry in two seconds. Why is it this story fucking Batman smashes the clan? Like, it could be Batman the Knight Rider smashing the clan. The logical version of this is Bruce Wayne undercover. He still does the dandy thing, but he's, you know, got property down in South Carolina. And he is 
creepy undercover Batman going in at night and destroying the Southern plant. You get the the year one banquet scene on oh, Southern plantations. Oh, your face is over now. See? Yeah. See here? Exactly. Oh, let's write that book. I want that book. That is a much more interesting take on a Batman in the South. And the only reason I would say he, you'd need him down South to give the Bruce Wayne character and have him down there and have it work. I completely understand there would be some really uncomfortable stuff that you'd have to deal with because a plantation house down there would need black characters and it would be uncomfortable and you'd have to address it. Pro tip to any writer who wants to try that on, do not call these freed men in this hypothetical book that we're pitching, do not call them the Dark Knights. Oh, I read that and I, I like everything just clenched. Yeah. Like, like, oh God, why? <laughs> yeah. The, the book came to an absolute dead stop. We have this panel of, of freed men that Bruce meets in Nevada. And, and what was it? Was it, was it uh, Agent R who tells him about it? They're, oh yeah. We're calling them the Dark Knights. Oh, and, and oh. after that. Bruce declares them free men and Redbird, the Robin analog is like, you know, where I come from, some of the effect of where I come from, we don't need to tell men they're free. And Bruce's response is, well, we civilized men. So I was like, Oh Jesus. Uh, oh God. Uh, why did you just say that? Uh, in, uh, written in 1993, we should have known better we did know better even in 1993 and redbird is basically tonto yeah um, written with all the sensibilities and delicacies of such the the broken english seems to come and go but it's there and at one point he actually drops the line from that the, the old joke he, he actually goes well you mean we white man i was like oh god did you really just go there I, really? I, I laughed at that. That was pretty good. I laughed, I, but I, yeah. I, I chuckled, but I felt bad about it afterwards. <laughs> this, was a, this is a book that never missed a chance at throwing in a little Easter egg. At one point, while Bill Hickok is in there, actually says, who was that masked man? Oh, like, you're so smart. Yeah, and... Bruce making comments about, you know, you should have a marshal's badge, Bill, and saying to Abraham Lincoln in a letter that I still have questions about your security. I'm shocked that at no point in here did Wild Bill have a hand of cards with aces and eights. I was waiting for it. The, the one that made me cringe, right, is they, they introduced Samuel Clemens. And then as to like flag for everyone, flagging for everyone oh hey i just saw that last article you wrote that under a pen name mark twain huh that was a neat name where'd that come from like jesus christ you think we're fucking morons can't mark you be a little twain. fucking clever with this oh uh, bat, uh you know bruce wayne meets samuel clemens oh yeah that's that's a person who actually lived that's a character from history let's not spell it out right there in the fucking page 
like you know uh, everyone reading this book is a moron like jesus i also wonder bruce is the only one who calls <laughs> wild bill hickok james or jim because his real name is james william hickok is that meant to be oh he's got a law enforcement contact named jim is that supposed to be a Gordon thing? Because I w- the one thing I will give this credit for, the one and only, there's Batman, there's Robin. They don't try to shoehorn in a Confederate Joker. <laughs> uh, that would have been pretty fun, though. He is the white cavalry officer. Yeah, you could have, you could have had uh, 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 Officer Joe Chill something. Uh, that would have been kind of fun, maybe. They could have done any number of things to make more PC and Bat characters. And they didn't. And I will give it that and pretty much that alone. This is also we're, a we're, wordy-ass comic. Oh, God damn. Were, were uh, Thomas and Martha even mentioned? No, no mention. I'll give them that, too. I mean, no idea of whether, why Bruce is doing this. It's also, and I made, I mentioned it in the introduction, he's a member of the Massachusetts Regiment. I mean, I know you didn't necessarily have to be from the state, you had to be living there. And Gotham is, Gotham's in New Jersey or New York. Gotham is not Massachusetts. Gotham's a mid-Atlantic city. It's just me because it's technically in New Jersey and I need to claim Gotham in, in my home state. Yeah, you could have, you, you could have made him some part of the Army of the Potomac, you know? Yeah. Let's get to the end and the weirdly elaborate scheme to steal this. So elaborate. Because, you know, you've got the Confederates in there and you're assuming it's the Confederates. But no. Instead... They were patsies. They were patsies. Instead, it's the French. It's the French who at the time were at war with Mexico and will wind up winning that war, which is something that I guarantee you most Americans have no idea about. That is the origin of Cinco de Mayo, folks. That is when when Mexico won a big battle against the French. So the next time you're drinking heavily on Cinco de Mayo, thank the French for losing that battle. But they are have teamed up with or planted a pair of not prohibitionists. I can't remember what that temperance movement movement, supporters. Right. Who are stealing the silver to bring it to the French while misleading the Confederates into attacking so they can distract from it. And it's like, wow, this should have been super villains. That is a needlessly complicated plot. Indeed it was. Trying to, if, did they did they have a name? The French or the <laughs> the the fucking French? Uh, no, uh, uh, this the women who supported the temperance movement. I'm not seeing anything uh, quickly. I, I at least like the involvement of the French. It, it seemed logical because you know there was some question about whether they were going to come in on the side of the confederacy of uh, or not so i at least like that as being some kind of you know secret you know plot from history uh you know this basically being like you know the equivalent of like a wild wild west plot or 
you know, some equivalent piece of pulp, but uh, yeah, it was needlessly complicated. And again, why, why is Batman in Nevada fighting about silver? Like I, I understand it was a lot of silver, right? But is it, is it really going to win the war? Really? Seriously? It's, it's just so removed from anything directly mattering in, you know, one of the nation's largest struggles for freedom and principles and dignity. And Batman is like, you know, fucking around in, in, the, in the desert. Like, again, I just, I don't get the thinking behind this thing. I, I really don't. This one was not a winner. No, no, it's the opposite of a winner. Yeah, so I think now that we've said all that, and we commented on it briefly, this was not a good Batman costume. No. Because again, it's got guns. Guns, and it's needlessly ornate. And it's, yeah, it, it, this was not, no. So. What, one more thing. Okay. Horse Batmobile Apocalypse. That was good. Yes. I, I will give them that. And the only part of this book I liked was when they got mad when they shot when Apocalypse got shot, because you don't shoot a man's horse, especially one that looked as cool as Apocalypse. You know, he had he had chains and emblems and symbols, and yeah, he looked badass. He was a good horseback mobile. But everything else in this book can really just fuck off. So let's do it. Uh, let's take this horse out back and shoot it. Put it on the board. I'm scrolling down. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I would put this below Gotham by Gaslight. Yeah, I agree. I think Gotham by Gaslight at least has a cooler looking Batman. And while there isn't much of him, he is logic Batman. Yeah. He is still Batman. I honestly, I mean, it's not, it's not the bottom. No. Not as anywhere near as offensive as Superman and Batman versus vampires and werewolves. That one is offensive to my sensibilities as well as having a few offensive bits to it. I think it might wind up right above that though, for it's cringy Redbird for the dark nights. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah, 550 is currently at 42, and that's that's the Clayface story where we just felt like we had to do 17 pages of exposition and history on all of the Clayfaces. That was boring, but not necessarily like bad or dumb. This is boring and just it feels pointless. Like, why did this book need to get made? And I would argue that it didn't. This, I believe this is now our new number 43 because this is offensive in places and yeah chasing clay was not and superman and batman versus vampires worlds has at least a couple of offensive uncomfortable bits as well as being so long and offensive to my sensibilities as a reader and so, they have a fucking oxford comma in the title jesus and now finally our third story of the night, which is a departure from these first two, A Grim Night in Gotham. 
This is The Batman Who Laughs, The Grim Knight, number one. Writers are Scott Snyder and James Tiny in the fourth. Pencils by Eduardo Rousseau. Inks by Rousseau. Colors by Dave Stewart. Letters by Sal Cipriano. Edited by Dave Weglosh, Katie Kubert, and Jamie S. Rich. The cover date is May 2019. This issue served as an intermission in the middle of the Batman Who Laughs miniseries and features the origin of a Batman who is a Punisher-esque Batman, a gun-wielding, violent, and murderous Batman as he tells his origin to a captured Jim Gordon of the prime Earth. So this is as much from Snyder himself, and I don't have any specific sites for this, but trust me, listeners, I'm not wrong here. Snyder, in talking about this story, will say that this, this character, Grim Knight, was just cut from metal. This, this was a Batman who was cut from that. And I think the first time I read this, I liked it a lot more. Coming back to it, it just it did not seem engaging as, as some of the other sort of best Batman, Batmans of that event. The Red Death always hit me as a more poignant story. Uh, a Batman so driven that he basically murders the Flash and that they are now bound. The, uh, the Drowned, I think, was a strong story. We had that gender flip. I'll, I will admit freely, in his initial appearances... In metal, I really like the Batman Who Laughs. I thought this hybrid of Batman and Joker is a great concept. It's just that that character appeared way too much. Yeah, they ran that into the ground real quick. Uh, But his origin was good, right? You know, you got a guy who massacres the whole Bat family in the cave. Like, that's that's really dark. That is really dark. And this... This chapter, the Grim Knight, is incessantly dark, and and I will I will grant that right. This that's what this project is supposed to be. It is the the darkest possible alternate visions of Batman, right? This is this is Elseworlds on a bad day. So I, you know I don't think this book necessarily has to be optimistic or cheery. And I mean, you've got a Batman in here who will not just torture and murder. Uh, but we'll do that to his closest family. If I read this correctly, Batman basically threatens to kill Alfred, but I don't either it, he doesn't go through with it or something happens or something, something saves Alfred off page. But like he's got a, he's got an Alfred that basically has, has a, has a suicide squad collar. And he says, if you leave me, I will explode it. Like, that's so fucking dark. I think that's that one moment that by no means redeems the Grim Knight, but I don't think he can press the button because you see him put his finger over it and then stop. I think that even the Grim Knight can't kill Alfred, which is what makes the Batman who laughs so terrible because he is the one Batman who could actually bring himself to kill Alfred. And Thomas Wayne. Really? He does that? Well, he lets, he kind of says to Bane, do it. And has him snap Alfred's neck in front of Damien at the end of the King run. Oh, I thought you were talking about uh, the Batman who laughs killing Thomas Wayne. No, 
uh, Thomas Wayne Batman is the only other Batman who kills Alfred. Yeah. God, that that whole shit just didn't make any sense. Like, I, I love my son so much. I don't want him to become Batman, but I will do any number of other horrible, terrible things to stop him from becoming Batman. Like, it didn't make any fucking sense. Anyway, anyway. Yeah, I just, again, I remember really enjoying this on first read. And I don't know whether having some distance or being really off put this time in the in the change in art styles. But I think as a dark inverse of parts of year one and kind of the Batman origin, and especially uh, the, the moments I like most in this, Gordon as being an unstoppable force. Like Gordon wins the day in this book and it so burns Grim Knight. Like he just, he, he can't stand the idea that he was beaten fair and square by Jim Gordon. There's a line in here where Gordon specifically talks about needing to bring the Grim Knight in by the book, which is an, a nod to Killing Joke where Gordon insists on Batman bringing the Joker in by the book to prove that it can be done. And I like that in both iterations of Jim Gordon and our prime Jim Gordon and that, that Gordon really and truly believes that even as broken as it can be, the system should work. And that's what makes Gordon a great character. Like in the face of so many failures, in the face of so many things going wrong, in the face of a department that he can't even trust, there is no stopping Jim Gordon and his belief in the system that if I work hard enough, if I, you know, sacrifice my marriage, if I sacrifice my family, maybe this city won't kill me and I will be able to accomplish something. It's why Gordon and Batman are a team. They both are complete hopeless optimists as much as neither of them want to admit it. Gordon believes the system that is irreparably broken can work. And Batman believes that if he tries hard enough, no one's going to die. Yep. And they're both wrong, but don't tell them that because they both believe it. And they will keep throwing themselves at the wall every goddamn day to get it accomplished. And I love that Prime Gordon is there bound and being dragged around by the Grim Knight. And he still is spitting defiance in his face. And he's spitting defiance in the face of the Batman who laughs when he pops up, who is an even more terrifying monster. Jim Gordon, who is a man, is willing to stand up to these monsters and i guess the the grim grim knight universe gordon his his ultimate triumph you know when he connects all the dots he gets mayor dent to uh to decide with him and they they're finally going to bring the batman in and i just love this idea gordon going to the manor with all of the fbi behind him you know, holding this search warrant in his hand. And he's like, I got you now, you son of a bitch. You son of a bitch, you are going in and you can't stop me this time. Like his, the triumph he has is so visceral. 
and and I think that's what really yeah like this this panel on um, whatever page this is page twenty nine where he's got you know he's got Wayne by the shirt collar and he's like you are under arrest and it's just again it's just so visceral and the triumph just so complete oh and, and not only that he disarms Bruce which I think is again part of the the ultimate shame that this you know, loathsome gun nut has like, how, yeah, you know, how dare he disarm me? Uh, but it's just so perfect. It's so perfect. And I, I think ultimately this, this is not, you know, a great comic because it's so tied into the miniseries into this event that is just a, full of a lot of noise, but that one moment of Jim Gordon having failed so completely trying to stop the grim night, you know, where he has to watch his men die in front of him to have that one moment of triumph it's really cool there's also a bit that is creepy and i like how creepy it is that the grim knight turns gotham into a surveillance and assassination state yeah and there's a guy who's trying to mug people and just out of nowhere a bullet comes and just shoots him and the it's a parents and a kid and the, the kids crying and they're like don't cry honey smile and wave batman's watching and it just makes me think of oh, that twilight zone twilight zone the cornfield, the cornfield. Yep. yeah i'm trying to uh, it's a good life or like like or it's like yeah don't 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 be sad or batman will shoot you that's a, and that is batman taken to that fascistic extreme that I think some people who don't particularly like the character think he is. It's like, no, read this and tell me that the Batman of the prime earth is a fascist. No, Batman is many, many things, but this is, this is a fascist. And that is not Bruce Wayne. He he dabbles in the tools and technology of fascism that other people take into those extremes will quite easily get you there but at some point along that path prime bruce says whoa uh we can't do this he might get close he might cross the line for a moment or for a period but he pulls himself back sometimes it takes alfred or dick or tim or barbara to remind him of it or lucius in the dark knight but he knows in the end that he can't become that man. The Grim Knight is that man. What were your feelings on the art here? I think, I think either sort of motif is good. I just don't like the alternating between them. And, and I understand like one is, you know, one is the flashback to this, the, the Grim Knight universe. And the other is set in this, in our prime universe with Gordon you know, uh, captured. If I had to pick one, I would have liked the, the grim night universe to be a little harder, you know, the, the darker inks, the more traditional year one style, uh, especially if you're going to invoke those year one moments and you're going to, you're going to flip them, uh, are you going to, you know, twist them? I, I would rather have that instead of this almost watercolory approach, it's it felt softer and it didn't to me didn't match the again the incredibly dark tone here so i mean they both look fine i 
would just have rather had something that's was either one consistent across the whole story or two an approach to the the flashbacks as they were to take a i guess a harder edge i can definitely see where you're coming from i really liked the art in those the look of the art in those flashbacks but i agree it was tonally dissonant with what was going on i love eduardo rousseau as an artist his work with Brian Azzarello on 100 Bullets or the initial Flashpoint Thomas Wayne miniseries from the Flashpoint event back when. And the image series that wrapped last week, Moonshine, which was a great concept that did not play out well over the length of that series. I'm sorry, werewolves making moonshine fighting prohibition era gangsters is such a great concept and that series goes off the rails after like two issues and ran for 28 but it was so friggin pretty and Rizzo draws a werewolf that is just great but that's a tangent but I really like Eduardo Rousseau as an artist and this was a book that fits his very bleak very dark style and Dave Stewart is a great colorist. He's one of the best. Of, yeah. I mean, his work with Mignola and all the Hellboy stuff is tremendous. But I just, I agree that there's a cognitive dissonance with soft tones as the Grim Knight is setting people on fire in that banquet, the inverse of the banquet scene from year one. And again, doesn't, doesn't look bad. No, it just doesn't, bad. just doesn't really match up with, with the story. I did like one little bit as a nod that a Batman who was this much of a killer wouldn't have a Joker because he just would have killed the Red Hood. I'm like, okay. Yeah, I remember uh, knocking off some guy at Ace Chemicals. Uh, yeah. Uh, I killed a lot of people. It's hard to keep them all straight, you know? Uh, we didn't, I think, specifically say it, but it's all does spin from change in the origin where while fleeing after killing the Wayne, Joe Chill slips, drops the gun, and Bruce picks it up and just shoots the hell out of Joe Chill. And, and uh, again, you know, we, we talk about, or at least I talk about this, this character is being cut from metal. I think the, to me, the, uh, the Batman that did that story beat better was the Batman who got a power ring at that precise moment and then became, you know, teen murderous lantern. Dawnbreaker? Is that the Dawnbreaker? Yeah. yeah. Again, that's a fucking <laughs> badass name too. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, that was a logical thing to explore, right? Like, you know, what if, you know, eight-year-old Bruce picks up the gun and, you know, becomes a big gun pervert for the rest of his life? I don't think we have much more to say about this. We'll eventually get to the Batman Who Laughs miniseries, which this is, well, this has some ties to it with a couple of bits. This really does mostly stand on its own. So it is its own thing here. And because it's its own thing here, I think we should put it on the board. <sighs> okay. It's a competent comic. Yes. 
Competent comics don't break. The, we're we're competent comics down into the thirties here. Yeah. I'm looking in the upper thirties. Oh, let's see. I I can never remember what the hell Clash of Symbols is. That is the Alan Grant, Norm Brayfogle Joker story with the bat the it's all in flashback because Batman's talking to a tarot card. Oh, that's oh I fucking hated that. I think you hated the frame. I think the Batman, the actual flashback is a decent story exists in a weird and not too great framing sequence. Yeah, yeah, but that's also the book where you got Scotsman misusing the word redneck and that will that will always perturb me. Because again, that's so easy to catch in editing. I can see this. I, that, this, this is definitely can go above that. Uh, last chance above that is the Dead Man issue of the animated Batman. And above that, is faces that weird weird legends of the dark knight two face are by bat by matt wagner that's real real pretty and has some really good ideas but explores them in some strange ways. i don't think this goes above death cast the deciding vote at 30 no because both cast the deciding vote and the silent night of batman are both good stories Silent Night of Batman, while it has some weird beats, has a real heart to it. And Death Cast, the deciding vote, is fun and a wacky 70s plane hijacking story. And again, this doesn't, it doesn't have to be bright and cheerful and and hopeful. I I don't want to, to make that impression here, but this book is so relentlessly dark. It, it's just it's not a fun read it's it's not and and it's maybe it's not supposed to be fun i would i would think that it's not supposed to be fun but i would have a hard time putting a book this dark much higher on this list especially when this doesn't really seem to say much right that's the thing you can have a dark 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 comic if it's saying something and by the way there are people out there, I guarantee you, who think this is fun. Those are the kind of people that make me very uncomfortable. Yeah, they're the ones with the, the Punisher logo on their trucks. Mm-hmm. This show isn't for you. Mm-hmm. So, right, that, that definitely puts it below 30. What about faces? Because it, it's going to be between 30, Death Cats, the deciding vote, and 33, a clash of symbols. Because the frame sequence here with the Grim Knight and Jim Gordon works better than Batman and Madame Cassandra in A Clash of Symbols. I, so, I would be inclined to put it above Clash of Symbols. Yes, yes. I think it is above Clash of Symbols. But below Last Chance? Works for me. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm good with that. So this is our new number 33, A Grim Knight in Gotham. And I don't think we talked about it, but the Batman costume here isn't that much different than the standard Batman costume. It's just all black and has a bunch of guns and a bandolier of knives and ammo. 
Yeah, it's just it's it's the, the Punisher costume with some like Batman flair. Yeah, pretty much. It's not a bad costume. It's perfectly suited to this Batman. It's just nothing particularly interesting either. No. But yeah, that's three stories. Good, good for us. We made it. We're now at 45 stories on the list. Going to be up at 50 before you know it. Yep. That is it for this week. Next week, to tie into the new weekly Detective Comics arc, Arkham Tower, we walk the halls and meet the residents of Gotham's most infamous house, Arkham Asylum. We'd like to thank our Patreon backers, Dan Grove, June is Dead, Long Live June, Long Live June, and Joshua Wheel for their support. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Batchat Comics, and the show is now available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and on ComicsXF.com. You can support our podcast on Patreon, where you can get shout-outs, bonus content, big story, and even come on the show. If you want to hear more of my ramblings, mostly about the three Cs, comics, cinema, and cats, you can follow me on Twitter at MattLaz1013. And I'm at Will Nevin. And be sure to visit ComicsXF at ComicsXF.com or at ComicsXF on Twitter for our weekly Friday Bat Chat roundup of new Bat books for my other show, WMQ&A, where my longtime best friend Dan Grote and I interview comics creators, retailers, publishers, journalists, and other related tradespeople, and all the other stuff Will and I are writing. Thanks for another great night, Brother Will. It's been fabulous. And to everyone listening, I wish nothing but health and wealth and all of the Bat Chat content for you in this new year, 2022. And stay safe out there, folks. Gotham is not a place to be after dark.